The cat only grinned when it saw Alice. It looked good-natured, she thought. Still, it had very long claws and a great many teeth, so she felt that it ought to be treated with respect. Cheshire Puss, she began, rather timidly, as she didn't at all know whether it would like the name. However, it only grinned a little wider. Come, it's, it's pleased so far, thought Alice, as she went on. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. Oh, I don't care much where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as it's somewhere, added Alice as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. A story all of you guys are familiar with that was written by Lewis Carroll in 1865. And of course, Disney just emblazed that on all of our minds through their telling of that story. Lewis Carroll was the son of an ordained preacher. In fact, Lewis Carroll went to seminary and he himself was looking towards ordination but felt his calling in a slightly different way. He's known for writing children's stories and many of those children's stories are are actually allegories. There's a There's a double meaning that's there behind the words. You know, there are people who aimlessly go through life. And then there are others who are looking for a path of enlightenment. And some go from one theory or one philosophy or or religious system to another. Much the same way as you might Shop for apples in the supermarket where you pick up a a ripe red one and you begin to look it over and you start to perceive a a bruise or or something that may be a wormhole and then then you put it down. So you, you pick up another one and you start examining it, seeing where its flaws might be. The great King Solomon has told us that the self-directed life can lead us astray. We read in Proverbs 16, 25, something you are familiar with. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Now, if you've done any study at all on world religions, you probably realize that virtually all ancient religious systems are based on good moral conduct. Even if you go to Confucius or Buddhism or Zen Buddhism, which is a Japanese modification, they're still based on on a good moral system, but Confucian, Buddhist, Zen, 
They really have no concept of a God. Only they offer a way to move through this life with the least amount of suffering. Nearly all religious systems, including Judaism, are based on trying to earn God's favor. Keeping up with the law, you might say. Because the law demands obedience. The law demands perfect obedience. No infractions. Is that possible? Not by me. So much of the activity that goes on in the name of religion is trying to dot the I's or cross the T's. And as you go through the motions, it can become very rote and emotionless. C.S. Lewis, at one point, was at a religious conference that was happening there in Great Britain where people from all over the world had come together and there was one session where the topic was what makes Christianity unique and so they started going back and forth and trying to figure out what was unique about Christianity is is it the incarnation well no because there are other ancient religions that talked about God's becoming men or God's begetting men. Was was it the resurrection? Well, no, because there are other religions that have some form of of a God going into the depths of Hades and coming back out. C.S. Lewis was not in the room when this discussion got started. But as he came in, it was in full fervor and people were clamoring and things were going back and forth and there was a man standing close to the door and Lewis said, hey, what's, what's all this fuss about? And the man said, well, they're, they're debating what is it that makes Christianity unique? And it is said that Lewis just looked at the man and said, that's easy. It's grace. Buddhism has this eightfold path that has to be walked. Hinduism has the idea of karma. Are, are you aware of that? What goes around what? Comes around, right? In other words, you're going to pay for what you've done if it's not in this life, in the next circle. Judaism has that idea of keeping the covenant in Islam, Islam is all about the code of law. In other words, the religion of men are all works-based religions. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. You ever stop to think about that? The New Testament teaches us that we cannot earn God's favor. There's no amount of self-righteousness that is ever going to cover our sin, our 
breaking of his law. From Genesis, it is made clear that sacrifice is necessary to cover men's shame. In fact, the first sacrifice is in Genesis 3.21. Adam and Eve have lived in perfect harmony with God and with nature. And in fact, it even describes them as walking with God. When Adam went against God's instruction and did his own thing, He sinned against God, which is the simple definition of sin. Is doing what God has instructed us not to. Adam's punishment was toil and labor for the food that he would eat. Eve's punishment, pains in childbearing and a desire to rule over her husband. In other words, the battle of the sexes. A disharmony there. With their innocence removed, they realized that they were needy and vulnerable, and so they tried to cover themselves up. Definitely a metaphor for for fixing your issue yourself. Cover themselves up with leaves, but it was... It wasn't sufficient. It wasn't enough. God himself came in. And in Genesis 3.21 we read that the Lord made garments of skin for Adam as for his wife and he clothed them. Where did the skin come from? Do you not realize that forgiveness only comes with the shedding of blood. See, here's the first sacrifice. There are some people out there who will tell you today, in a, in a progressive way, that God never sanctioned animal sacrifice. I guess they don't read Genesis clearly. But that sacrificial system was set up by God in order to teach not just Israel but all men that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And in fact, it points to Christ and the cross, the ultimate sin satisfaction of our God in the flesh using his own body as a sacrifice for you and for me. You see, the Hebrews fully understood that need for sacrifice and God told them to do it. And for centuries, they did First in the tabernacle and then when the temple was set up, there were daily sacrifices and special sacrifices throughout the year. There were thousands of sacrifices in a year and hundreds of thousands of sacrifices throughout the thousand years or so that the the couple thousand years when all of this was done. 
In fact, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 9.22 tells us very clearly that the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But here's the problem. Israel knew that the sacrifice of an animal could not eliminate the sin. All it did was push it off, which was why those sacrifices had to be done on a routine basis. Even at the first of the year, the Day of Atonement, when they sacrificed for all of Israel's sin and the scapegoat was led out into the desert, taking the sins away as a symbol, right? You know what they were doing the next day? They were back in the temple, sacrificing again. Why? Because God gave us choice. And if we have the choice... We're not always going to do what God tells us to do. Yet Jesus became our sin offering. The righteous for the unrighteous to fully restore us to life. He became the sacrifice by his own blood. Hebrews 9.27 Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you waiting for him? Say amen. 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 Friend, if man can get to God through Buddha or Gandhi or Confucius or Reverend Moon or Hare Krishna, if man can make himself right before the many gods of Hinduism, or earn a place in heaven by following the prophet Muhammad, I have a question for you. If that's true, then why did Christ have to die? If all systems are equal paths to God, then friend, there's absolutely no reason for God to have come in the flesh and to have died on the cross. You know, some people say that all roads lead to heaven. In fact, that's pretty popular among the more progressive among us, that there's a God spark in every religion. I'll I'll grant you there's truth in every ancient religion, moral truth, trying to teach people to live in a way that a society can sustain itself. Because I can tell you, if we are not self-limiting for the good of our society, our society will go away. That moral truth is not the saving truth. The saving truth is found in Jesus Christ. Alone. Alone. 
You see, Christ doesn't give us the option of a different system. And if you're honest, neither does Muhammad, neither does Buddha, doesn't even believe there's a heaven, and certainly not Satanism, which, by the way, is a religious system. So if all roads lead to heaven, you can't leave that one out. By the way, if you can convince me that you can get there through Satanism, I'm more than happy to talk with you. You come up with a really good argument, bring it to me. I've not ever heard one. Christianity just does not fit into a universalistic mentality. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except except how? Through me. And if all roads lead to heaven, all roads lead to God, then Christ is not what he said he was. There are people who say, your religion is just offensive. It's too exclusive. Really? And no other system is? But really? Actually, when I look at Christianity, I read the scripture. I read what's there. I read God's story, his plan for man. You know what I read? I read it's the most inclusive religion there is. Because God wants everyone to come to him. We can't come to him on our terms. We have to come to him on his terms because he is God and we are not. I get an amen. I heard joy. We are not. Everyone is given the right to choose. Friends, Jesus is either who he said he was or he is not. He cannot be a good teacher as someone to make him just a good teacher. He cannot be a good prophet as others want to say. Yes, he was a prophet, just not the prophet. He can't be a good teacher and a good prophet and be a liar. He called himself God's son. As you read scripture, you see he made himself equal to God. That's one of the big reasons why the Jews were trying to kill him through most of his ministry. They understood clearly what he was saying. You remember what John said about him at the beginning? John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Slight lesson. The original wording, the Word was God. The word order in Greek is God was the Word. Now, I'll be honest with you. 
grammatically, the subject there is the word. God would be the article. That, that it would, would be the... Um, so in English, to do that as the word was God is a good way. It's, it's a good translation. But the little word order puts the emphasis on God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and God was the word. Is that a strong statement? Especially as you read on down through there and you begin to see what he's actually saying. You get down to verse 14 and he says, and the word became what? Flesh. He entered our world and he dwelled with us. He lived the way that we live. He can't be a good prophet. Can't be a good teacher. And be a lunatic. (laughs) I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says that Jesus, if if he's causing himself God and he is not God, then he's the lunatic along the same way as a man who thinks he's a poached egg. Somebody comes up with this. I try to listen. I try to not be offended because that's not their point. Their point is they're not understanding or they are refusing to understand. One of the things I point out is, you know, the Bible is absolutely the bestseller of all time. It's been translated in more languages than any other book. It far exceeds sales around the world. And certainly for the length of time since Gutenberg's printing press, it is astronomical compared to second place. Have you ever read it? You know, if you want to be intellectually honest the least you can do is read it for yourself. In fact, I'd get a red-letter edition. Red-letter edition where the words of Jesus are actually highlighted in red against the black other letters. And just read the red letters and read what he said and ask yourself, are these the words of a liar? Does this sound like a lunatic to you? Because you see, if he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, then he has to be Lord. He has to be who he said he is because he doesn't give us any other option. He is the only path to God. And don't you want your family and your friends to know him? So the question becomes, where do we start telling people? 
I gave you a great place last week to start preparation, right? Over in 1 Peter 3, 15, and 16. Reason. Do it in gentleness and respect for the good of the other person. Agape, right? Begin with a willingness to listen. When somebody is listening to you and they give you their full attention, do you notice that? What's, what are they transmitting? What, what, what is it they're trying to tell you without words? I care about you. Yes? Yes. Acts 8.35, or really that whole section. In fact, you, you want to just make a note of it, you can go back and read it. Acts 8 from 26 to uh, 40. I'm not going to read that this morning. But Philip is called out to the desert to meet a man who was reading an Isaiah scroll out in the desert on his way home from being in Jerusalem, going back to Africa. And Philip came up alongside the chariot, spoke to the man, asked him what he was reading, and the man said, tell me, is this guy talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip started where that man was and he took him to where he needed to be. Many people are looking for a sympathetic ear. Not someone to give them advice, but somebody to really listen to them. Now, I know there are some people who, if you don't ever listen to them, will never give you the time of day. It's kind of an attitude that says, you can't know where I am if you don't know where I've Ben, you've heard this before, right? Yeah. You realize that by simply listening, not even necessarily saying anything, you may discover the key to how to introduce them to Christ. Do your homework. 1 Corinthians 9, pretty famous things there. Paul says, I become all things to all men so that by all means I might save how many? So don't think you're going to save everybody you talk to. If you're thinking you're going to hit a home run every time you get to the plate, you're going to be discouraged a lot. By the way, do you remember uh, Hank Aaron, known as the home run king? Do you know what other stat he held? Largest number of strikeouts. Absolutely. Absolutely. But doing your homework is more than just studying the scripture, okay? Your friend may be from a different part of the world, may may be from a different part of this country, because I can tell you, we did things differently in Georgia than y'all do up here. I still love you. But there's different values, even within our own country, right? So, do your homework. Ask. 
Ask them about their culture, about their beliefs. In fact, read something about it and and bounce it off of them. Because, you know, oftentimes people won't agree with what an outsider has written about their philosophy or their culture or their language. But, you know, if you read something about it and you go and you say, hey, I just found this interesting. Do you have any experience with this? You know what you just did? You allowed them to be an expert on who they are. And bouncing the reading off of them gives you an opportunity to hear about their life. It it opens a door. Your sincere interest can earn you the right to be heard. Stephen Covey, seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's really a biblical principle. So, ask and research. Food is a great one. I love this one myself because I I enjoy different tastes, right? Research their food. Research the country. Research customs. Research history so you'll be better equipped to meet them where they are and take them to where they need to be. And we discussed this at length last week, but know your reason. Your own personal experience with Christ. How has his extravagant love changed your life? And really... You can probably narrow that down to three things that are easy for you because it's, it's your story, right? Just three things. What were you before you met Christ? How did you meet Christ? And what's different now that he's in your life? You see, it's not this great big monster It's a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Where were you before you met Christ? How did you meet him? And what's different about your life today? And honestly, today in our culture where everything seems to be going to this experienced-based thought and philosophy... I want to know how your life has been changed because maybe that will work for me. It is an open door. If someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer, there's actually a really good answer that I use a lot. It's got three words. Do you know what they are? I don't know. Do you realize that adults, thinking adults, don't expect you to have all the answers? We just need to set a little pride aside and pull out a little bit of humility and admit it sometimes. But actually not three words. It needs to be four words. I don't know, but. I don't know, but I'll find out. I don't know, but why don't we sit down and 
and read. I don't know what, but I know somebody who does know, and why don't we go and ask them? Do you hear it? I was talking with someone a few years ago. And um, they said, in essence, they said, I can't accept a fire and brimstone God who's just out there just waiting to condemn people and, and, and to, to barbecue them and throw them into hell. I believe God is pure love and that doesn't match with a vengeful God. And I thought to myself, well, there's actually a biblical concept in there because I believe God is love. Yes, you believe that? But not in a God that's separated from Jesus Christ. A God who loves us to cleanse us from our sin. So I said to him, I agree with you that God is love. See, there's something we can agree on. I agree that God is love. And by the way, he doesn't condemn anybody to hell. Because you see, my understanding in, in, in reading what we know about him is that he allows us to make our own decision. And then he lovingly holds us to that decision. And if we choose to live in this world without him, he is a gentleman and he will respect that decision in the next. They looked at me with that blank stare and said, I never thought of it that way before. Mark 10, 17 through 25, Matthew 9, 20, Luke 18, 18, all tell the story of this, this young man who came to Jesus one day. We call him the, the rich young ruler. He, he's called a prince, right? He's, he's a, a person of some standing. He has prominence, he has wealth, he has position, he even has a, a passion for God. But what he lacks is the right place in his life for God. And as Mark tells the story, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Do you hear the invitation? Do you hear Jesus' heart? By the way, you look at this and you see that word love. What word do you think that is in the original language? It's agape. It's that good for the other person, totally selfless, all for the good of the other person. 
Jesus loved him completely, unconditionally. He tried to talk with him and to reason with him. And the young man had a decision to make, and he chose, and he walked away. And Jesus, in love, let him go. Jesus didn't berate him. He didn't twist his arm. He didn't yell and scream and pound on a scroll. He just let him go. And I have to ask, why? Because if God forced you to come to him, how can that possibly be love? Okay, let's back off for just a second. I want you to grab that connection card that you have came in your your offering envelope I mean in your uh, bulletin um, I want you to pull it out everybody if you would please and and on the front of the card uh, I just want you to, to, to write your name and your email address uh, this really helps us in making sure our account is right every Sunday and really appreciate that um, if you're visiting with us your first time guest we're glad you're here thank you for being here Oh, and by the way, I did notice after we got started uh, that, oh my gosh, I see you back there, lovely lady, I just, just Mary Lou, I was about to say Mary Jo, and I knew that was wrong, Mary Lou's with us today, be sure you speak to her before you leave. Um, glad to see you here, dear. Uh, write your name and your email on there. I'm going to get mine here real quick. Uh, on the back side, uh, first time visitors, if you'll mark that, if you want to give us information, there's a table out front there. We have a gift for you, a book that I think you'll find very entertaining, very interesting. Um, it's, it just got printed this year and, and it's all about, can we prove that Christ lived without using the Bible, just looking at history? And it's a very interesting thing. If you'd like to just take that card and put it in the basket that's on the red table out there and pick up a book and take you with it, we'd love for you to do that. On the back, there are several things that uh, I want you to really think about this week. Uh, we've got a memory verse. Uh, I've got a section in Acts for you to read. And to think about as you're thinking about being mission-minded, what we're talking about over this series, um, how does Paul identify his three things in this particular section of Acts as he's talking to King Agrippa? Uh, Guys, Bible study uh, starting up tomorrow. Uh, You guys, everybody that signed up has a book. In fact, I've given out all 17 books. 
wonderful thing. We're going to go over that very first section, not just the first chapter, the first section tomorrow. So be sure that you read that uh, before then. And uh, one thing I told Judy, I'd be sure to make sure it got mentioned. We're going to do a breakfast on Easter morning. Uh, If you're here, you're not only welcome to come, you're welcome to bring something with you and to bring a dish because it is a potluck. And if we don't have any pots, we'll all be out of luck. (laughs) Amen. Judy did ask, if you know what you're going to bring right now, please just write it in the comments down there and we'll make sure that she gets that information. So we have a, uh, you know, a reasonable count and we have an idea of of, um, uh, what's going to be there. Uh, but if you'll fill that out, um, we're going to be taking up an offering from our, our regular tenders our, and our um, uh, members, guests. D- don't feel like you have to give anything in. It's really not for you. If you're at another church, please give there, okay? But this is, this is uh, for, for our family here. Um, not going to stop you. I'm just saying don't feel obligated. Um, but put this in with the offering as uh, the men come around during the closing uh, hymn, if you would. Alice went on. Would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. Oh, I don't much care where said Alice, then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. My friend, if your only aim is to move through this life comfortably, then pick any path you wish. But if your aim is heaven, then you must choose the way of the cross. Father God, we thank you that not only are you creator and sustainer, but we thank you for the fact that you have given us a path to come back to you. That you have allowed us to have a mind that reasons in a way that nothing else in creation does or ever will. That you have allowed us the ability to make our own choice so we can understand what your love, what self-sacrificing love actually is. And that you loved us enough not to leave us at home, but that you are still here among men working in this world, not only through your word and what we know of you from there, but from your Holy Spirit, which inhabits the praise of your family and that you have given to all of us to guide us as we walk this path here. We thank you, Father, that we don't have to walk through life alone we pray father that you will convict us of where we are wrong 
where our lives need to change. We pray, Father, that you will give us the grace to allow us to change. And through your spirit, you will spur that change for our benefit and for those around us. As we come into this time of of commitment, this time of decision, pray, Father, that you move among us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.